In this episode, we explore the concepts of ritual and ceremony to mark and embody transitions in your life with the amazing Ashley Dufresne. Welcome to the Wellness Empowerment Project. I'm Trish. And I'm Julie. We are two nurses exploring holistic healing and wellness practices to empower you to be the leader of your own health. Join us as we try out new things, or as we call it, weird shit, and have some fun along the way. Welcome to the Wellness Empowerment Project. We're going to be talking today with Ashley Dufresne. Ashley is the founder of The Authentic Embodiment and is a master channel and energy alchemist and soul-led business mentor who supports visionary leaders in their transitions and guides them into the highest expression of their legacy. Ashley integrates energetics and channeling with behavioral and neuropsychology to initiate quantum rites of passage experiences. Her methods provide a systematic approach to change, healing, and growth that launches her clients to quantum leap into the timeline of their highest success, the one where they're making the greatest impact while living in ease, pleasure, and prosperity. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to hear more about your journey as I have a lot of questions about what actually a master channel and energy alchemist is. So <laughs> I know this podcast is like attracts a lot of science heavy people. So yeah, I love being the bridge to the more spiritual realm. Master channel is a title that was given to me. It's essentially a space in which you can tap into your gift to channeling being the ability to tap into information and energy beyond your own mind and body. So being able to connect with divine wisdom, guidance from angels, archangels, ascended masters, higher dimensional beings, and being a master is just essentially meaning knowing how to step out of the way so that you may receive the clearest messages without it being filtered through your ego and your own personal experience as you're receiving that. It goes more into depth, but that's a simple way that I can describe it for you. When you talk about receiving information, it sounds like to me that you're saying that consciously we may not have the information, but we're able to get it from other areas that are part of us. Would you? Are you talking about our subconscious or the unconscious portions of our brains or our bodies? With channeling, no. That, that's not what I'm speaking of with channeling. When we go into meditative states, we're able to access more of our unconscious mind. When our ego rests, when our conscious mind rests, we're able to tap into a bit more of what exists within our body, like our body's wisdom and what's happening under the surface. But with channeling, it's actually tapping into frequencies beyond yourself. Some people can call it God, source, universe. They can work with ancestors or maybe have heard like spirit guides. But yeah, it's tapping into divine wisdom and consciousness beyond yourself. How did you get into that? <laughs> this actually ties into a different question that you had of like, oh, how did you get into behavioral psychology and neuroscience? And how did you blend these two worlds? <laughs> yes. um, I could shorten it all by saying I had a really interesting childhood. And I have been a channel and media my whole life. I was raised Catholic. So these worlds didn't really blend. I didn't know anyone who was a channel or a medium. I was just having these experiences. And 
the only reference that I had to these supernatural experiences were horror movies. So I thought I was being haunted for a lot of my life and it was really terrifying and traumatic. And being somebody who is more, I'm more of a logical person. Yes, looking at the work I do, you wouldn't believe it, but the way that my mind works, I'm very analytical, problem solving oriented. I'm, I'm always looking for answers and solutions and researching and trying to figure things out. And I was never really one for faith, even as a young kid. I think I believed that there was something, but I didn't really resonate with my religion. And I remember asking questions and catechism and them being like, no, don't ask questions. You just have faith. And I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) I learned through asking questions. I like need to ask questions. So I just had this really interesting relationship with spirituality because I was having these supernatural experiences and I rejected them. I really thought that I was, like I said, like being haunted and I felt like a victim of my gifts and being somebody who was in that problem solving mode, I just thought there was something wrong with me. There was something like wrong with my brain. So I started studying psychology when I was 12, picking up textbooks, entering research. I understood the anatomy of the brain before I was 15 years old, knew all the parts. I really wanted to understand what was going on because something was off because no one else that I knew had these experiences. And I wasn't sure if I believed in ghosts and stuff. So I was just like, well, maybe I'm making it all up. Maybe they're right. Maybe I am just like crazy. Like I got to figure out what's wrong. And my childhood just allowed me to be introduced to these two worlds of science and logic and what would you call it? The unknown, the weird unknown paranormal experiences. It wasn't until I was about 18 that I finally accepted my gifts as a channel and medium and had my own little rites of passage in accepting my title as a medium and channel and did my healing work to yeah heal what I call supernatural trauma to start feeling safe with my gifts and begin to hone and refine those and master that process. Wow, that's fascinating. And it's interesting that one of the biggest things that stood out is that you had to first become safe within your own body, with your own gifts. I think creating safety within ourselves is something that's not typically spoken about. And I'd love to hear how did you create that safety and how did that rites of passage ritual, where did that come into play? This process took a long time for me. I didn't have a guide, a mentor, or really anyone that I knew that had these gifts. So this whole journey, I was on it alone alone and with my guides. (laughs) My guides helped me a lot. I was really grateful. Once I finally accepted them, I was really grateful for them because they really did teach me and guide me uh, in a lot of ways to learn how to be safe. What initiated the the path of safety was my guides. It's a really weird story, but I'll tell you it without freaking anyone out. So to this day, I don't really know what this was, but the best way I can describe it was like a polka dice. I had this weird, dark energy that was following me. At that time in my life, I was struggling with depression and uh, addiction and suicidal ideation and was in a really low vibrational space. Something, the only thing I can come up with is there was just like a polar ice or something following me. And it was messing with me, messing with my reality, turning lights off, garbage disposals on, moving things. It was like messing with my physical reality and waking me up at night coming into my dreams. And it was in that my guides came to me for the first time where I could like see them. At the time, I just thought there were a bunch of other spirits following me around because I didn't know the concept of guides. <laughs> I was just like, wow, there's some nice ones. And then there's some 
scary ones. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but these guides, they were in my dreams. Like I kept seeing them. I, was, I learned how to lucid dream because of this poltergeist and like trying to interact with it, to understand it and get rid of it. In my dreams, these, these group of helpful spirits were coming and helping fight this thing off. And I remember the last night, the last dream I had of them like finally relinquishing it. These dreams were like in my home. It felt like waking reality. I was astral projecting or something. It was in my room, in the hallway, in my home. It was so strange. But I remember standing there with my guides, holding their hands after this thing was gone and feeling like I had this pressure to finally accept these spirits into my life. And I remember being like, hey, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what's happening. I'm not ready. I really expected this response of, nope, now's the time. Like, We've been pushing you to this. Let's go. And it wasn't. They were like, oh, we totally understand. And we'll be here when you're ready. And I think that was the first time in my life that I was met with genuine acceptance and compassion because it moved me in a way that I've never experienced before. Just like I was accepted for where I was and there's no pressure to be any other way. And that initiated that journey of learning safety. Honestly, it was a really long process. Now, the way I teach it and guide people in it, it's much quicker. It's much nicer when you have somebody holding that space for you and who's gone through it to guide you along. But the process of that was, yeah, like working with the triggers and slow exposure to it and learning how to regulate my nervous system with these things that once created these panic attacks or these like freeze moments so that I was able to interact with them without that same reaction. There are still some things that give me that reaction. If I'm in a very haunted space, sometimes I will have that panic response if I like see a spirit. Usually I can keep it together, but if I'm like alone, it will still happen. So it's not like I'm like fully healed and recovered and so good at everything now. I'm still a human and have my triggers, but for 90, 98% of the time, I feel safe with interacting with spirits, with guides, with high dimensional beings. But yeah, the process of the rites of passage, though, was something that took several years as well. But I'll pause there. If you want, I can share that story as well. But that's uh, another whole journey. I just wanted to actually ask the quick question. Since you did have a background in psychology, were you aware of your nervous system being unregulated? Were you aware that you were in freeze mode? Does your science-based knowledge, did that really help you, guide you to work through this in particular? At the time, I don't know if I would necessarily call it nervous system work, but I did recognize that I was in a trauma response. And so knowing that I was in a freeze response was helpful in understanding that like I was in a space that I was no longer able to respond because I was reacting. Having that information at the time, that really did help me because I knew that there was nothing that I could do when I was in that space. And I had to create the safety before I had a reaction so that I was able to respond. So that process was challenging. I was not able to sleep alone until I was 24 years old. Wow. Yeah. In college, if I was alone, I had roommates, but when I was alone, I had to have my lights on and my TV on and have noises and lights on the whole time. And that was when I was like healthy. <laughs> when, when I was younger than that, I had to drink so much that I would pass out at sunrise and then finally be able to sleep once the sun was up. And then I would sleep for a couple hours and drink a lot of coffee, stay awake. Like that's how I functioned because I could not sleep at night because of how much supernatural trauma I had during sleep. Now I sleep great. I live alone. <laughs> Don't even need a nightlight, y'all. <laughs> So how did you get yourself to that point where you felt 
now that you feel comfortable sleeping in that space, did you have to create certain boundaries with how these spirits were interacting with you? Or was that something more mundane? I need to do meditation throughout the day so that I could settle my nervous system down. How did that work? Great question. I had to start small. So like I said, I wasn't able to sleep alone. So there were some areas that were just harder to work with than others. And so when it came to sleep, that was one of the things that obviously came later, like 24. That's a really long time. That took a lot of years to finally feel comfortable in that. But with other things, like having people around while I was interacting created this level of safety that I could start engaging with it on my own. Yeah. One of the first things I did when I finally started accepting my gifts was create boundaries. It was the most important thing for me to do because... Well, it's one thing to just say, hey, okay, go away. Don't be here. Thank you. But like in your body, you're like, I'm going to come back. Is it going to happen? I I don't know. Like you don't really believe what you're saying. And so then it happens anyways. That happened a lot when I was a kid because I was so scared, but I didn't believe that I had the power. And so setting boundaries is a way of establishing your power and making your word truth. And that really helped me. I had, I will tell you all, this is really funny. I had clear boundaries that I share with all my students when I first start teaching them how to hone and refine their gift. They were these clear boundaries that I had. And it was, do not bother me when I'm trying to go to sleep. I do not want to see you. I don't want to see anything. I'm okay with hearing. I'm okay with visuals. I'm okay with body sensations, smell. But please, I don't want to see like a ghost in front of me. That's going to freak me out. (laughs) It's going to set me right back. And then the last one was, don't bother me in the bathroom. (laughs) And and so I had my strong boundaries, no bathroom, no time before bed. And I don't want to see you. Okay. (laughs) It was really helpful because it helped me establish places of safety. My bathroom was safety. I could be in the shower and not worry about what's on the other side of the curtain. And I could go to bed and know this is a boundary that's set. No one's going to bother me. And then also know that I could be alone at nighttime and I'm not just going to see this random figure pop up. It's established this like level of safety that allowed me to start feeling safe. And having those boundaries allowed me to start pushing edges to start communicating and exploring and building relationships with my guides so that I could feel safe with interacting with other, maybe other spirits and other helping guides. That's funny that you were like, don't come in my bathroom. (laughs) But it totally makes sense. Yeah. It's my private space. Don't bother me. (laughs) It's vulnerable. Well, I feel like sleep is also a time of real vulnerability because you're not awake and alert and looking around and your brain is going into different brain waves. You are open to certain things during that time. Is that a time where spirits feel that they can come through? easier when you are in those altered states? Absolutely. Yeah. When you're in your conscious mind, there's so much distraction, so much you're thinking about that hurts for a second, what your brain waves are doing. You're not as receptive. And that's when you're in the meditative state or theta wave, you're much more open to experiencing. In shamanism, theta wave is considered the spirit world. And when we go to sleep, when we shift from our conscious mind to our sleeping mind, we move through theta. And so it's usually people have experiences as they're falling asleep because they're moving through that. They're moving through the spirit world as they're going into rest. Fascinating. So I found interesting is that, Ashley, you don't just work with people that have had that same experience as you. You work with women who are building businesses. 
but you're using a very similar process about establishing safety, creating boundaries, regulating the nervous system, recognizing trauma responses, and you also integrate a rites of passage. Do you mind telling us more? What is this rites of passage work and why is it so important? Oh man, I could talk all day about rites of passage work. I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. Rites of passage is essentially the act of marking transition from one chapter of life to the next. And it's very much tied to identity. It often occurs when we're shifting our titles or our roles in society. It really marks that transition for us to fully step into whatever this next chapter is. And so for me, Claiming these gifts, these spiritual gifts, and becoming comfortable with claiming myself as a channel and being comfortable stepping into that path of walking one foot in the spirit world, one foot in the 3D world, I needed that transition. I needed to have that empowering moment to mark that and declare my readiness. And I've noticed, well, (laughs) let me just say this, rites of passage is pretty much eliminated from our society outside of some religions. And it's really unfortunate because even in a lot of religions that still hold rites of passage ceremonies, the context is missing and they're just going through the motions and the meaning is missing and people don't really even know what they're saying or doing or what transition they're making. And often religious ceremonies happen at an age that is maybe at one point it made sense. That was adulthood when you turned 13 or something. But now it's our adulthood isn't really until like 18 to 20-ish. And to give somebody that rites of passage at 13 really doesn't have the same meaning as somebody who's actually stepping into their adulthood in our traditional, like when our culture has that transition now. And so we have some minor ones like getting your license, graduating high school, but it isn't really shifting a role or an identity. It's this like marking of, hey, you're an adult now because you can drive a car or you can smoke cigarettes now or you can drink. There's these things that mark adulthood, quote unquote, but there's nothing actually supporting people in identifying who they are as individual in our community and what purpose and role they have, which I believe is like the greatest epidemic collectives experiencing because we have a bunch of adult children running around not knowing who they are or why they're here without purpose, struggling with mental health issues, hurt people hurt. So just like creating this ripple effect of pain and and suffering because people don't really know who they are, why they're here. And truly, I believe that is what held us together and allowed us to feel connected and to feel like we were a part of something. And now without that, we've been living in a culture of hyper-independence that has really eliminated this sense of connectedness and personal power within our community. Ashley, I know we had this conversation before. I also was raised Catholic. And when you were speaking, what originally came to my mind was the confirmation process. I think we were like in eighth grade and it was supposed to confirm whatever you agreed to at your baptism. And I distinctly remember not knowing why we were doing it, not understanding that we were doing it, Even the priest saying that if you don't understand what you're doing, it, you shouldn't do it. And all of my friends look at each other. We're all like, but if we say we're not doing it and we don't understand we're doing it, our parents are going to kill us. So we all went through with it. And I don't think we truly understood what it meant until ninth or 10th grade. But the point being is that how much that could be tied to identity and how much of our identity are roles that either we've been given or just accepted. Whereas when you're talking about this rites of passage, this is 
no, I am consciously deciding what I want to walk into for my life. Yes. And I feel like it's something, it's a spiritual process. And I think that's why it fell away. So I don't think a lot of spiritual practices have been really integrated in modern times. I think it's coming back, but I believe that in the rites of passage, there's a moment where you really connect with your soul and who you are on a deep, authentic level that it isn't a cognitive process of who is it that I want to be? Who do I want to become? It's a moment of dropping into who you are, who you're always meant to be. And that experience is what really calls forth and, and moves us forward into this readiness to claim this next chapter or this next identity, because our ego can come up with whatever. But if it's not like in resonance with who we truly are, it's not going to really work because our whole being isn't on board for that. But when our soul speaks and everything kind of calibrates, wow, wait, that's it? Like, that's who I am? That's that moment of the hero's journey, the refusal of the call. We go through the process and then eventually we step forward and yeah, step in, step into our calling. So I'm coming at you as a mother. What you just said was very impactful to me. When I think about rituals and rites of passage, and a lot of those things are founded in religion. I think that they come from a lot of history. And in modern times, I don't know if we've truly developed replacements for those things. And if you do attend church or synagogue or whatever your religion is, as a parent, you are sending your children through these different education and rites of passage um, within your religion because you want certain experiences for your child or your children. What does that look like in modern times? Is that something that really is on a much more personal level that people should really be thinking about within themselves or their nuclear family? How do you see that in the modern world? That's a really good question. I know some companies who hold that space for adolescents, for people just coming out of high school before college, or even people coming out of college. One company that works people just out of college and holding that space. So I think there are some things coming up. And I wish there was. I really do wish that there was something that's more like, hey, this is what we do now in this collective age. But unfortunately, we still very much are rooted in this hyper-independence. And so we have to work with that because there is so much individuality, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But with the rites of passage, what's important is the witnessing aspect. It isn't something that we can necessarily just do alone. So my invitation is always like, work with the individual or with your child in creating that experience, have them have their own experience alone, but welcome them back because that welcoming back process is what makes it a rites of passage because they're being witnessed in this transition. They get to claim who they are now and what they're stepping into and what this means to have this transition and what their new title is, how they want to be referred to or seen as or held in regard as. So welcoming back process is so important. It also helps with the integration work for any individual that goes out on their own rites of passage experience to have family, a community that welcomes them back to help them be witness in that and also help the integration of, okay, what does this mean when applied? Who are you now? What, now what are the actions to that? You are a different person. So that means you're, you're going to be showing up different. What is that? And how can I support you in that? Within that is still that realm of safety as people grow and change, as your children grow and change, and they do come back to you, being 
self-accepting of whatever that may be and being able to separate what your visions were or hopes and dreams for your children are maybe different from what theirs are. And that's okay. And when they come back, that full acceptance and that space of safety. That's so important. I'm so glad you spoke on that. That's, I think, the hardest part. I imagine as a carrier, you have these hopes and dreams and visions and these, these uh, timelines of potential that you've maybe seen for many years. And it's this like true act of like loving surrender and trust in their divinity and who they really are as an individual. And that itself, it creates a, a little bit of rites of passage for you too, <laughs> because you're no longer the caregiver in that way, but instead now you're the supporter walking beside them. I think you could even extend that to your own relationship when you are in a relationship with another person that you continue to grow and they continue to grow and evolve as a human and being accepting of that and moving along with them and that area of safety and acceptance of whoever they may be. Because when you don't, when you don't accept or that's not okay with you, then that's where things start to break down. Yeah, where things have to end in order for everyone to stay in their truth. Right. When you were talking about rites of passage and how we really don't have a lot of these moments in our society today, two things came to my mind. One is that it sounded like we were talking about ceremonies and those are like those big events that we'll celebrate. And you're right, we definitely don't have a lot of ceremonies that we are, we're celebrating. But it also sounded like in the modern times that this is very much a I call it a self-initiation process. I'm a Kundalini yoga instructor. So I think of it as we completed our teaching certification. We had our ceremony, our graduation ceremony. But then afterwards was this embodiment where we really needed to continue. The work did not stop. The work actually just deepened. And a lot of it was things that we did on a very daily routine basis to really integrate into our system. Do you mind either sharing or elaborating? Do you see rites of passage essentially as a ceremony? How would one create that for their own self-initiation? And then how do they continue to really embody what they're desiring to become? Oh, great questions. Yes, ceremony is such a big part of my work. I incorporate it. I think every offer I have, it's like hard to not because if you want to have transformation, it's important to have something marking it. There, there are different kinds of ceremony in the way that I teach it and um, the way that I facilitate it and the way that you've experienced it with me is in the form of rites, it's a rites of passage ceremony. So there are some ceremonies that are celebration. There are some ceremonies with other intentions, but in how I teach it or how I guide people because of the work that I do, I consider those rites of passage ceremonies. And so they can look a little different than just a celebration or, or like a graduation ceremony, but they still all have the essential parts. So in ceremony, there are three main parts. There is the severance, the threshold incorporation, just like in a rites of passage. Ceremonies mark transition, emphasize change. So the severance phase is this the, the phase in which you release something, let something go. It might be your old identity, the last chapter, the threshold, this liminal space is the space in between. It's the uncomfortable in between space where you're asking those deeper questions like who you are now, what is next? What does that look like? What does it feel like to be without that thing you just lost? Working through grief, working through uncertainty, working through all the uncomfortable emotions that arise only here in this liminal space, in this threshold, in this in-between. 
And then final part of the ceremony is the incorporation or what I like to call embodied fusion, where you cross that threshold into the other side of defining who you are now. You're stepping into that level of embodiment of who you are, why you're here, um, what that looks like. And so that's what a ceremony is. Often what's missed, I see this a lot. I see a lot of like, from what I've heard, I have not been to a yoga retreat, but I've heard yoga teacher trainings and yoga retreats have a really similar structure of like how they guide someone through and then they end at this big ceremony and it, it marks the, hey, you are now this. You've been initiated in this work. And often what's missed with trainings and these unformal rites of passage is this incorporation, this post-embodiment work that you're speaking of, which is, I think, the most important part. Integration is the most important part. I think integration is the most forgotten phase of growth. I think people are so quick to jump to uh, discovery or rediscovery and healing or um, action mode. And in order to move from healing and discovery mode into action mode, we need the integration for things to settle and literally integrate for our physical body to catch up with what we've uncovered in our mind or in our energetic body. Our physical body is slower. So that means we need that time for things to catch up and put physical practices in place to actualize that vision that we just uncovered for ourselves. I see these practices that you're speaking of, these consistent acts, these are rituals. Often the term ceremony and ritual are used interchangeably, but they are different things. Rituals are consistent acts that are done after a ceremony or within a ceremony, acts that are representing something. So you can have a severance ritual where you tear up paper and burn it, and that's releasing something. You can have a embodiment ceremony where you dress yourself up, you adorn yourself and do your hair and makeup, and you embody the version of yourself that you are stepping into in this next chapter, right? These are rituals within a ceremony. So rituals are really powerful acts that support us in creating sustainable change. Ceremonies mark transition, but rituals actually create the change. And so these acts that you're speaking of, this is great that this was incorporated in your, in your training because these are essential in the actualization of this transition, of becoming the kundalini yoga instructor, becoming this leader, because it isn't just done with the ceremony. It's so easy once we reintegrate back home to fall back into old ways because we're surrounded with conditioned stimuli. We're surrounded with the environment, the people, the things, the food that we were doing before. So we need to implement new things in place that support us in anchoring in that new identity or new frequency of what we are calling in. And so basically these rituals, that's what they are. Little tiny acts that support you, the building blocks of creating your new chapter. How do you figure out what are good rituals to support you moving into a new space? For example, I recently got promoted into a position for work. It was a step up and I'm moving through this new space and figuring out how I fit into it. Uh, I have ideas of the way I want to be functioning but what are some ways that a person can figure out how to do that? Congratulations. That's very exciting. Well, you, you first start with the ceremony. First start with actually marking this transition and honoring this amazing transition that's been made. Getting this promotion is more than just a job. It's a change of title and a change of who you're being. So first it's honoring that transition and in that process, discovering who you're becoming now. Who is it that you want to be in this new role? 
because that is going to determine what kind of practices that you create for yourself. So who do you want to be? Maybe you want to be more inviting. Maybe you want to be more open and kind. Maybe you want to be more confident. Okay, stick with those three. So if you want to be more open, maybe in the past, you've been somebody who just puts your head down and you do your work, you're really great at what you do, and then you go home. Well, in this new position, you want to be more open because you're in a leadership role. You want people to feel comfortable coming to you. So maybe a ritual that you do is you know, in the mirror every day, look at yourself, speak to yourself who you are now and the intention that you have for the day. Maybe you're changing your posture, which can also go into confidence. You're keeping your shoulders back. Your chin is up. You're checking that posture every day. Okay, this is what it feels like to be confident. I am not closed off, just doing my work. I am open. My heart is open. I'm here and I'm receptive. Maybe it's a ritual during the day that um, you have an alarm go off in your phone that reminds you to smile. So you like get out of your head. This alarm goes off. You're like, okay, let's take a moment. I'm going to breathe, drop into my body, recall my title and who it is that I want to be. Opening my chest, shoulders back, chin up. I'm going to smile. I'm going to open my heart. I'm here to be open, here to listen. Maybe that is most of the one confidence. Maybe you change what you wear. Think Clothes are such a great way of anchoring in a new frequency or a new identity. How can you change what you wear or change the way you do your hair to remind yourself these like little tiny things that create these micro adjustments that are novel to new clothes or a new way you do your hair. This is novel stimuli that you are creating a new conditioning to, which will support you in creating that change. If you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to keep getting the results you've always done. And it's hard when everything's conditioned. I think it's challenging when the position's still at the same job. So you have to be a little bit more diligent at how you, like what kind of internal things you're shifting or like micro adjustments you're making to support you in that shift because it isn't like you're in a new building or maybe you are, I don't know, working with different people. So sometimes making that change is a little bit more on you when there isn't a whole lot of change around you. So what I'm hearing you say, is actually you would want to start with when you're moving into something new, what does that look like and what do you want it to look like? What are some of your priorities of embodying that new change so that you can then start to create some of those micro rituals throughout your day so that you're actually then becoming what you're envisioning? It's exactly it. The trick with rituals is to make them so small and doable that it becomes sustainable and it creates this uh, momentum, like the infinitesimal growth, it's tiny little shifts that you make that build upon each other to create this bigger change. That's what creates sustainable growth. And so that's the trick with rituals. We don't want to do these huge, big things that take two hours long because it's just, that's such a shift in your life. You were not doing anything and now you're doing two hours of stuff, not realistic, and you're going to fall off and likely revert to old ways because it just makes sense. But you have these tiny little things that you commit to, that you really commit to, 30 days, 60 days. You build upon them and let them grow and you witness the changes that are being made from these tiny little things. You're creating this massive exponential growth in the most easeful and gentle way. I like it. I really like having tiny habit that I incorporate into my day to try to make change. So I feel like that really resonates with me. It's great. Well, true confessions for anyone who doesn't know yet, I have taken numerous courses with Ashley and I'm sure there'll be more in my future. I don't doubt it. If there's any left. Ashley, what I really love about your work though, is that you're able to take these nuts and bolts 
boundaries, the nervous system, trauma, and incorporating the rites of passage. And you're merging this all together. Pretty much people can be their own self-initiators. So we don't have to stay in the identity that we were given. We don't have to have our ego be connected to an identity that may not completely resonate with us. And I think one of the things that came true for me was once you start knocking down these barriers, you may not realize that you've been attached to an identity that you unconsciously essentially agreed to and you played that part in. And this is an opportunity for us to take back our power and to consciously decide what we want for ourselves. And I think that's absolutely beautiful and absolutely amazing. Well put. So well put. Yes, yes, yes. And thank you for that reflection. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's our greatest value in authentic embodiment is our entire intention. I think our greatest intention is to teach people how to do this work so they no longer need us. And I appreciate always having you, like being able to work with you for so long. And the way we set it up is our full intention is we want to empower people in their own sovereignty. We want it so that people don't need to rely on someone else or keep coming back, but instead that they have the tools and resources and are learning this stuff so that they can do it on their own. So they do feel empowered and they feel confident in their own sovereignty to create these big transitions in their life and know how to hold them. So that the next new chapter as it comes, because we're constantly growing, we're constantly going into death and rebirth or an evolution or some kind of chapter shift, they know exactly how to hold that how to support themselves, how to move through those challenging times and how to hold themselves in the liminal space and feel confident in that and soak up the most richness they can from the experience and create the reality that they want. Using these challenging and these pivotal moments as opportunities of, yeah, like higher vision actualization. So Ashley, can you tell us how can people find you? How can they work with you? And what else do you have coming up? I mostly hang out on Instagram. My Instagram is the Ashley Dufresne, T-H-E-A-S-H-L-E-Y-D-U-F-R-E-S-N-E, which I'll send the link for that. So I hang out mostly on there. Feel free to reach out to me. I love when people hear a podcast and something lands with them or resonates, connect with my story and they share it. I love getting those messages. And so if you message me, you will get a response from me, not my team. I will hear you. I will respond to you. I love authentic connection. So I'm here for that. Please reach out. How can people work with me? I'd say come on my Instagram, see what's going on. Uh, I channel my yearly plans. So depending on when you're hearing this will be depending on what's going on. So just reach out to me on Instagram and check out and see what's going on. I do have something exciting coming up. Something that my team and I have been working on since 2019. And it's finally here. It's something that people have been requesting. And I've just been, to be honest with you, I felt like I wasn't ready. And in the last year, I finally feel ready and I feel like the collective's really ready for this. And so what it is, drum roll, this is my first announcement of it. We are finally launching our Quantum Rites of Passage certification program, where we're going to be training people in how to hold this experience for other people, how we combine the behavioral neuropsychology with rites of passage method and the energetics and channeling to create quantum rites of passage experience. I think it's an answer to that question for you, but magic. 
<laughs> I'll just sum it up as it's magic. <laughs> Pretty sure it's the formula of magic. It's just like science and, and spirituality. So yeah, we're very excited about that. It's a currently it's a, a nine month certification program and it is in depth and we're stoked. <laughs> That sounds so exciting. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This was so great to chat with you and share parts of my story I haven't talked about in a while and just have a really engaging conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ashley. What a fantastic conversation we had today. I will make sure that we put all of your links in our show notes. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow, subscribe, and share with a friend. Want to learn more about a specific topic? Drop us a line on our website and we can explore it deeper with you.